And welcome back to Restless. My name is Father Joseph Gill, priest of the Diocese of Bridgeport, Connecticut, and you've joined us young adults as we restlessly seek the face of Christ in the, t- in the midst of today's crazy and mixed up world. And you've joined Lauren and special guest Candace Lee. Candace, welcome. Thank you, Father Gil, for having me here. <laughs> <laughs> you sound so excited to be here. That's yes, awesome. I am. And we're so excited to have you. So Candace has been a big part of the Stanford Young Adult community for how many years? How many years have you lived in Stanford? I moved to Stanford a year ago, but I think I started coming to Stanford for activities in 2019. Okay, so that's been three years? Yeah. Three years and change. Yeah. Where did you live before Stanford then? I was living in Richfield. That's where I worked. Okay, excellent. And Candace has a really amazing story of faith, and so we wanted to bring her on because she's kind of leaving Stanford in Connecticut. Very sadly, she's moving to Virginia, sort of. She's actually already sort of moved to Virginia. Yes, I technically already moved my stuff down here. So for this week, I'm just coming back to Stanford to go back to the office and to attend a wedding of my friends. Uh, so tell us what you're doing in Virginia. So I'm going back to grad school, hoo-hoo, oh. which, is, <laughs> which sounds really exciting, but at the same time, it's also very intimidating. Uh, I'm going to do a PhD in biomedical engineering. Wow, that's, uh, that's awesome. Yes, Candice is very smart. I live with her. Um, so we've gotten to know each other over the last year, and uh, she's from Hong Kong, which she's going to tell us about. Um, and you came here for your studies, correct? Can you yes. tell us about that? Yes. So that was back in 2016. I went to San Diego State University for my undergrad research. So back in the days, I was still doing a lot of chemistry research, which has nothing to do with my research right now. But um, I had a really good experience there in San Diego. I got to experience the culture of a different part of the country. And people there are just really nice and really warm and really fussy. Was that your first visit to the United States? Yes, it was. Awesome. And on the weekends, um, basically nobody was in the street because everybody was on the beach. (laughs) It's San Diego. Yes, it's San Diego. (laughs) So why were you used to the beach from Hong Kong, right? Yes, I was also, I mean, I'm kind of like, my parents are still living very close to the beach right now. And when I grew up in Hong Kong, we went to the beach very often because you're just really close. But so why did you come to America for studies and not go to China, which I'm sure has a lot of great, uh, great universities and especially in the sciences? Yes. Um, America is still standing in the forefront of science in the world. And I think I really like the freedom and creativity in a lot of institutions in America, such as, you know, America has a lot of funding for science and technology. People here love engineering and science creativity and we just have like a culture of innovation in America but I feel like you know in the eastern world that kind of culture may may be like less important you know we have people studying science and engineering but a bigger part of Hong Kong is business Mm. so I feel like I didn't really fit into the culture of Hong Kong it's like you know it's very money driven it's very um, it has a strong um Focus on elitism as well. So I feel like, you know, America is probably a better place to pursue science and just research in general. Hmm. Yeah, you know, I was young at that time and I feel like I had nothing to lose when I come here. So I just came. Awesome. Awesome. And that's when you were Anglican, correct? Yes. So can you tell us about your Anglican upbringing? Yes. So I grew up in, in an Anglican church and I also went to an Anglican girls school. So I was in that school for um, six years, 
from seventh grade to twelfth grade. So that was a big part of my life because you know when you were teenagers, you kind of like you know exploring your interests and your fields. You make more friends. You kind of understand more about yourself. So I think、um, my Anglican education did have a big part of my, of like how how it shaped me right now. And、um, I think that back in the days when when I was at school, like we don't really have a big、um, edu- like focus on edu- on religious education. Again,、okay? just because Hong Kong is like very Business driven and money driven. We always talk about you know getting good grades in like math, getting good grades in English, or like Chinese exam and things like that. So we don't we have like religious classes, but we don't really have a f- strong focus on religion education. So you know in classes we like talk about like the Old Testament, talk about like, the、um, the stories of Moses, like the creation and how、um, like the story of Daniel or Esther and things like that. But we don't really talk about how、um, the Christian faith. Shape our lives. Why is it important to our lives, and why Jesus matters? Like people know that who Jesus is. Like people know that Christians celebrate Easter and like Christmas because of Jesus, but they don't really think about why Jesus matters. So I'm curious because I've always kind of I know that Hong Kong was colonized by the British, right?、Yes. So that's why probably there's Anglicanism there. Yeah. But I've always kind of pictured Hong Kong as more、um, Chinese culture, which would be pri- primarily either. I guess what is the, the is it Shintoism that's the biggest religion in China? I mean now probably dominantly predominantly atheist. Yes, I think is it's a mix of everything.、Uh, it depends on which part of China you're talking about. I think in the southern part of China, it's mostly folk religion. Okay. People will worship their ancestors, and there is like a statue of Buddha in my grandparents' house. Oh wow! Yes, so I mean the statue is not like huge, but it, it, it's like a small <laughs> statue. Like you know that that is a Buddha.、Mm. So I think it's just like different kinds of folk religion, and of course you know when you go to the western part of China, they're the Uyghurs, like they they're Muslims, and you go into the northern part, northeast part of China, there may be different kinds of, kinds of like folk religion, and there's also like different ethnicities in China. They have their own like. Shamanism and things like that.、Hmm. So it's just a mix of everything.、And、is that the same with Hong Kong too? Is it、uh, mixed or? I think in Hong Kong it's a mix of Christianity and folk religion. Oh wow! So、yeah. if you had to put a percentage to how which percent is Christian in Hong Kong, what would you say? To be honest, I really don't know.、Um, but I would say, to be honest, I really don't know.、Um, but I would say most of the people. In my parents' generation, probably believe in the folk religion in South Christianity.、Mm. But you know, for a younger generation, that may be a different story. Interesting.、Okay. Are your parents Anglican, or Christian, or nothing,、uh, or folk? They again, they're kind of like a mix of both, like folk religion and also like they kind of know who Jesus is, but they don't feel like, oh yeah, Jesus really matters in their life. Like they really don't see it. They, they don't see it that way.、Mm. So your Anglican faith. Came from your schooling, not your parents. I think it also came from the church,、um, because my parents thought that, oh yeah, you know, it may be a good idea for her to get baptized because everybody else is doing it. Okay.、Oh. And I went to Anglican school, so I said, you know what, like, why not? It doesn't really hurt. They don't have to pay for anything, and so they just like they were just on board with that.、Mm. So, how, what what makes Anglican different than Catholic? Because it's it's close, right? Yes. In some respects. Yes. I would say, in terms of the sacrament, it's close. The Anglican Church also believes in the sacraments, and they believes in the transubstantiation of the of the Eucharist.、Um, what really differentiates Anglicanism from the Catholic Church, I think, is the papacy.、Mm. In the Anglican Church, there is no pope. 
of course, like, you know, there is an Archbishop of the Canterbury. So, like, we see him as like, the head of the, of the Anglican Church, but we don't really see him as a Pope figure. Yeah. So, it's, like, you know, we, we don't call him the Holy Father. He doesn't really like have real authority to yeah. make decisions about yeah. truths. Yeah. So, it's like, you know, he is probably the Bishop of Canterbury, and that's it. You know, he's one of the members of, of the Council of... I forgot what the council is called. Um, it's a, every several years, the Anglican Church will have a council to talk about like issues with different dioceses in the okay. world. Hmm. So, yeah. Oh, the Council of Lambeth, I think it's called. Oh, yes, yeah. yes, yes, the Lambeth Council, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So he's a member of that, and, you know, that's it. Like, we don't really... I, I To be honest, I really don't see myself as any relationship with him. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Even when you were Anglican. Even though I was oh, Anglican. Yeah. Yeah. I only, um, I only, only, I think in my life I've only had one encounter with Anglicans, and it was a very unique experience. So, back, you may remember, two thousand nine, perhaps, or two thousand eight, um, Pope Benedict opened the door to many Anglicans becoming Catholic by allowing the Anglicans to continue using their Book of Common Prayer, which was kind of their missile, uh, and and making that a legitimate rite of the Catholic Church. It's called the Ordinariate, mm-hmm. um, and so a lot of place, a lot of priests, uh, you know, Anglican priests and, and Anglican, even Anglican nuns converted. And there was a convent in Baltimore of Anglican nuns that converted to become Catholic, everyone except for one nun. And the nun gave us the reasons. She said, I'm too old. I can't convert. I'm not going to change. So when I was a deacon, I went down to, perf- to do a holy hour for these nuns. And it was so interesting because they had, in their chapel, they have two tabernacles. They had the Anglican tabernacle and the Catholic tabernacle. And, you know, here I am exposing the Blessed Sacrament for all these nuns. And the other nun is sitting off to the side, praying in front of bread in her Anglican tabernacle. Because I'm just thinking, like, that's not Jesus over there. (laughs) Jesus is right here on the altar. That's just bread. So are any of the Anglican sacraments valid? Well, baptism would be, Baptism and marriage. Okay. Yeah. Do they do confession? I don't know. Do they do confession? Uh, some churches offer that, but some churches don't. There's really two branches of Anglican. There's high church and low church. High church kept a lot of the trappings of of the papist, uh, the kind of the papist uh, church, and that they the smells and bells, the incense, the robes, the Gregorian chant, the, the cloistered nuns, and then there's low church Anglican, which kind of jettisoned all that and became very close to like a like a like a, a, more like a mainstream Protestant church. And so Anglicans think that they have Jesus in the bread and wine because they believe in transubstantiation. Yes. But they don't. Technically they don't. Yeah. Technically they don't. I don't know. Do they do adoration? Do you know? Uh well, this I didn't did. do that. Because I just like I don't know. I I know we're not like the faith is not felt, but there is a feeling sometimes in adoration that you can sense like Jesus is present or the Holy Spirit is present. But yeah. if it's just bread I don't know. When people pick up on that, like, hmm, nothing's happening here. Well, the thing about uh, the thing about all the sacraments is that there's a principle in the church called ecclesia suplet, which means the church supplies. So let's say, for example, you go to confession, and in, as part of a really deep confession, the priest either neglects to say the words of absolution, or you know, butchers them, or something, and you walk out of the confessional. Is it a valid confession? No. But did you receive grace? Yes, you did. You know, if by human error someone you know, genuinely believes they received a sacrament and it was not valid. You know, okay. A few years ago, we had that, that case of uh, Father Matthew Hood from Detroit. He was the priest who went back and watched his own baptism video. Oh, yeah, I remember that. 
I think it's just the wordings is different for the baptism. They said, um, yeah, the, the yeah, deacon said, we, we baptize you. you. Yeah, we baptize you. And the Vatican said, nope, that's not a real baptism, yeah. which means that he's not even a priest. He's not even a Catholic. So he had to go and receive all the sacraments over again, including baptism as a priest. So like, you know, all those confessions he heard, all the masses he said as a priest, they were not valid. He never really made the Eucharist. But did the people receive nothing? Well, no, they received grace, even if they received only bread, because they believed in good faith that that really was Christ. Yeah, I think that goes back to, I think, what you have said before, is God bounds himself into a sacrament, but God is not bound by sacrament. Yes. Right? Yeah, so, you know, when we receive sacrament, like quote-unquote sacrament in the Anglican Church, I think the grace is still there. And I think it's also because of grace that has, you know, guide, guided me through the way from Anglicanism to the Catholic Church. So tell us about that journey. Yeah, so that was, that happened not very long ago. That happened in 2017 when I moved to Boston. So I met a group of friends who are Catholics, like very, very Catholic. And why did you move to Boston? So I was there for grad school. I was doing a master's degree at Northeastern University, which is a really secular institution. To be honest, I didn't meet any Catholic friends in the institution. Um, I was just like studying there because I was just fo- so focused on my study. And uh, to be honest, I really didn't imagine myself well like, imagining the journey of like converting to a Catholic church. I had never thought about that. And you went from undergrad in San Diego to your master's right away? Yeah, I, yeah I actually graduated in Hong Kong, so I was just doing my research in San Diego. I went back to Hong Kong to graduate, and I moved to San Diego. I moved to Boston after. Okay, and you're Anglican. Yes, I was still Anglican at that time until I met a big group of friends who are very, very Catholics, and they know that I'm Anglican, and they know that oh, there is a potential in converting her. So, <laughs> to be honest, I I really think that they thought that way because Anglican Church, just like what you said, is very close to a Catholic Church. So you know, they gave me some books to read, and they asked me one question. What do you think is a major difference of the Anglican Church and the Catholic Church that you cannot accept right now? And I said, Mariology. Mary, huh? Yes, it's Mary. Because I always thought that the Catholic Church worshipped Mary. And Mm. I was like, that's wrong theology, that you can't worship Mary. Mary is Jesus' mother, but she's not God. There's only one God. It's the Holy Trinity. And, And they told me that, no, we don't worship Mary. I was like, really? You worship Mary. And they were like, no, we don't worship Mary. <laughs> Mary is our intercessor. We ask Mary to pray for us, but we don't worship Mary. So I was like, huh, interesting. So they gave me two books to read about Mary. The first one is from Scott Hahn, and the second one is from Futen Shin. It's called um, The World's, the World's First, First Love. Love. Yes, Beautiful exactly. book. I highly recommend it. Very poetic. <laughs> Very poetic, yeah. Yes, but I read the one from Scott Hahn first. It's called Hell, Holy Queen, as I remember. Yeah, so I started to understand the role of Mary, started to read more about the Revelation. And to be honest, I've never known so much about the Revelation mm. and before I read Hell, Holy Queen. So that was mind-blowing to me. Um, and of course, they also encouraged me to um, seek spiritual direction from, from the priests or even from like other Catholic friends who are, who, who are genuinely Catholic. And um, they also encouraged me to, maybe I can go to mass or go to confession, but I actually waited for a long time to do that because I was kind of scared at that time. You know, I was Anglican, like, why am I going to a Catholic church? Like, why am I going to a Catholic chapel? Why am I seeking confession Mm. from a Catholic priest? Like, what's the point of doing that because I'm not Catholic? 
So yeah, that's how it is. And I I went to confession because I um I think it was a 2018 summer. I was doing some internship, and the other people in the car were saying that. Um, we are pro-choice and, you know, it's women's right to have abortion. And then I was like, no, that's not, that's not women's right. Like you're encouraging women to kill their own baby. Why is it pro-woman then? So um, I was just had that thought, thought uh, in my mind, but I didn't really say it out loud to argue with other people. And then, you know, my spiritual director just encouraged me to, you know, seek the precise and um, ask for his opinions on how to talk to other people who have different opinions from me and seek confession because, you know, I should have said something instead of staying silent. So, yeah. And I talked to the priest for a long time. The priest asked me, like, where am I from? Like, what's my faith journey has been? And that's kind of like, you know, it takes one step at a time to really understand what a Catholic faith and to understand what the role a Catholic priest is actually playing in the Catholic Church and why confession really matters. Mm. Did you have any other misconceptions about the Catholic Church beyond the Mariology, Worship Mary? Um, I think I don't really have a lot of misconception of the Catholic Church. I would say it this way. It's just like I feel like the Anglican Church is kind of standing in the middle between Catholic Church and the really mainstream Protestant, those mm. evangelical Protestants, and I didn't feel like that's a problem at all. So I'm curious. So in, in America, the uh, Anglican Church is usually called Episcopalian. Yes. Did you go to any Episcopalian churches while you were here? Yes. I went to Episcopalian Church when I was in San Diego and Boston. So the one that I went to in Boston is kind of like, I don't know, it's sort of like mainstream Protestant. They always have the rainbow flag outside their church. Mm. And yeah, I think that it's like one of the oldest church in Boston. Okay. In outside Prudential Center. Did you connect with people there? I connected with the priest there. Uh, not other people because other people were not on my age. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> that is a problem of Anglican Church in in America right now. It's like there's an aging population. Yeah, and so who were these Catholic friends that you met, and how did you meet them? So they were from Opus Dei. Um, the way that I met them is I was living in a student residence at that time, and they were also living in that student residence. So that's how we connect. So, yeah, we were very close. We studied in the library together. We um, do other things together. We went apple picking together. Yeah, we stayed in the library until like 2 a.m., 3 a.m., which is not healthy to do, but we did that because we were students. So you (laughs) formed um, a strong bond, it seems. Yes. So was the friendship established and strong before they started talking about the Catholic Church, or was that kind of always a conversation? I think we formed a friendship before. Okay. And I think the friendship really helped me convert as as well because, you know, they kind of use a very, like, gen. they were very genuine and they were always, like, very open-minded to what um, I'm going to say. They know that what I'm going to say is probably different from what I think. Mm-hmm. But they were always there to listen. And I think a lot of um, Catholic people are, when they want to convert you, they are very good listeners. And I feel mm. like they were good listeners because they they want to hear my opinions and they want to understand what kind of person I am. Yeah. And you had formed that trust. Yes. And I think, I mean, I could just speak for myself. Sometimes, like, you just want to help people see things right away because they can be so obvious to us, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't really work that way, you know? Yeah. Um, And I think I've heard several times before, like, it's so much better to walk with someone 
and really get to know them and be on their journey than just try to like convert, convert, convert or explain or, you know? Yeah. So you're a prime example of that. Yeah. So I think they, they have really, they've been really helpful because they walk with me, just like what you said. They encourage me to, to read. They encourage me to seek. They, they tell me about what they know. And they also, um, one of them also became my spiritual director at that time. Hmm. And the other one is my best friend now. Okay. Oh, yeah. Good. So, um, what was your family's reaction when you told them you were converting? Uh, my daddy didn't really say anything because my dad doesn't just doesn't really care. My mom said no. She said no. Yes, because she said I've been living a life that is like, rather easy, and my faith has been helpful to me as well. Yeah. So she was just like, there is no point for me to convert because. Like, you know, I've been Every, living a good life. Because everything was going so well. Everything was going so well. Exactly. It's like, you know, I'm studying in Boston. Like, you know, surrounded by the smartest people in the world. Like, what else do I want? So, <laughs> yeah. I don't that's know, like, truth? That is like her reaction. <laughs> the truth, exactly. The truth, you know. God is the truth. So, yeah, that was her reaction. But I think later on, she also came around. Good. Because she went to Boston to visit me. And she met my friends. And my friends were just like, so polite, so kind to her. They're very hospitable to her as well. So yeah, I think they, they just, and like my parents just understood the fact that, oh, I'm making such a good group of friends and they have been helping me a lot, not only in school, but in life as well. Mm -hmm. So what was the actual process of like converting officially? So that was 2019 after I left Boston. I um I left Boston to come to um, Connecticut in 2019 January, but you know in Connecticut I just didn't really know anybody, and I also didn't know any churches. I have no connections here. And you came for your first job after school. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I'm still working on my first job right now. I've been there for almost four years. Hmm. Yeah. So my friends just connect me with a church in Manhattan called St. Agnes Church. It's right outside Grand Central, literally two minutes walk away. Um, so they connect me with the priest, Father Bob, and also um, I forgot, Father Barrett, Father Michael Barrett. So um, I didn't go through the whole RCIA, but the priests there were very helpful. Again, they encouraged me to read. They encouraged me to go to confession every week. And they asked the priest for spiritual direction. And if I have any questions from the reading materials that they gave me, I can also ask questions hmm. to them as well. So, yeah, they, they see me every week. I was there in the confessional for at least an hour, sometimes two hours every week. It is difficult because, you know, January, February, it's like winter. And and you lived in Ridgefield. I was living in Ridgefield. That's a long trip. That is a long trip. Yeah, that is a long trip. I take the train every Sunday. And sometimes you just say, you know, it gets out really fast. And by the time when I get back home, it was already like pitch black outside. Yeah. And so, you're working all week. And I was working all week. Yeah. So it was it was a lot. And I did have a moment that I just felt like maybe this is not worth it. Mm. But, you know. I have people who pray for me and my guardian angel is really helpful. The priests are really helpful. They encourage me to, to do better and they were always there for me. So I feel like, oh, you know what? Let's just persevere. You know, January, looking forward to e to Easter is not that far away. <laughs> oh, good. Good. So, so, you, so you got confirmed in the Catholic Church in 2019? Yes. 2019, Easter Vigil. Awesome. In St. Agnes. That must have been a very special moment yes, for you. Yes, it was. So my friends also came came from Boston. Oh, excellent. As well. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. Now, I'm I'm always curious when people are from a different culture and they've you know been deeply steeped in the Catholic faith from from a, a culture like America. Do you pray in Chinese or in English? Both. 
Really? Yes. Like in your personal dialogue with the Lord, it's, yes. it's both? Yes, I do both. And she prays the rosary in Latin. Do you really? <laughs> I do. <laughs> <laughs> because I got distracted very easily. And, you know, if I say the rosary in a language that I don't know, that, I don't, like, that I'm not familiar with, like, I think I can focus it, on it better. Oh, good. Good. You know, just like sometimes when I think in my native language, I speak my native language, I would just think about something else. Mm. You know? And English as well, you know, you're reading the news every day, you're reading out my research paper every day. So, you know, when you are praying in English, you would just think about, oh, yeah, that, that is an like analysis I have, to do, I have to get done tonight. That is a paper that I have to present tomorrow. So, you know, when you pray in a different language, it, it helps you the just Latin's focus. Latin is just a language of prayer. It's never... Exactly. So, you know, <laughs> I don't know anything else in Latin. Anything in Latin. <laughs> we recently did a cliff walk together, and we did... The, the cliff walk in Newport, if you know it. And it's seven miles. That's beautiful. So we did the whole thing. And so we were coming back and I think I did ask, did I ask, can we pray the rosary? Yes. I had courage that time, Father Jill. Well, I mean, so, but you I also know, knew she Candace. was like a super devout I knew Catholic. It was Candace, I mean. But I, I asked her and so she's she asked me, do you want to pray it in Latin? And I'm like, well, you can pray it in Latin, but I have <laughs> to pray it in English. But that was so moving to me because, I mean, English is your second language, right? So third language. Their third language. Third language. I'm sorry, what, was, yeah. what was your second? Mandarin. So your first was Cantonese. Oh, Cantonese. Okay. So anyway, wow. I was impressed. I mean, I know English and a little Spanish, and I was like, I got to up my game here to Sometimes pray. Sometimes she speaks Spanish to me, and I have no idea what she's saying. Well, <laughs> well I, don't, I think she spoke not... Spanish to a Spanish speaker that have no idea what she's saying too. <laughs> Oh, Boy, bueno. I can get by a little, but uh, no, it was uh, inspiring. Like I, and I think you're exactly right because I, I definitely drift off in my thoughts in prayer often. So to just pray in Latin, that's that might be good. A, that's a gift. Yeah, yeah. that's mm-hmm. a gift. That's that's tough though. I, I when I studied in Italy for a year, you know, two, oh, yeah. three months of language study, and I was like, you know, I would, I would go to mass in Latin, but you know, you're constantly in Italian, and you're constantly translating in your head. At least that's, oh. what I, that's what I was yeah. doing, you know. I see. You know, yeah. Padre Nuestro. Okay, like that's our father. Uh-huh. <laughs> so can you tell us a little bit about what is your faith like today? Like how do you live it out? I think I love God more um, and I also love other people more. Um, it's just because I, I feel like inside a Catholic church, everybody is God's beloved, a daughter and son. And sometimes I feel like I can see each other's human dignity better in with my Catholic faith, you know, just because God has been really grateful, has been like showering me with a lot of grace and he has been surrounding me with a lot of good friends. So I feel like maybe I can actually be a good friend of other people as well. Yeah. So yeah, I think that has been really helpful in forming friendship, just like, you know, helping each other to get through the obstacles, difficulties, or just like, you know, if some people are not like, far away from the faith, I, I can help them convert as well, hopefully one day. Um, <laughs> and I also have a, I think have a better prayer schedule because we, we are always talking about having a personal relationship with God. So I go to adoration once a week. I pray the rosary every day. And I also go to different like Catholic event, ev- events in Stanford area. You know, mm. And you go to daily mass often. I do go to daily mass often. That's beautiful. Is that something you could do in the Anglican Church, or did you do it when you were Anglican, or no? I didn't do it when I was Anglican. I was, when I was Anglican, I was just like, oh, yeah, Sunday obligation. I just go to church on Sunday. Okay. You know, from Monday to Friday, I, I'm just like, ah, whatever. So your faith is mm. really deepened. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I think that somebody also told me that 
everyday in your daily lives, the mass should be the most dramatic moment in your day. Yeah, sure. Because, no, you're receiving Jesus. So now I have one last question because we only have a couple of minutes left. But somebody, as somebody like yourself, who is very involved in the sciences. Do you, I know that there's often in today's culture this belief that science and faith are incompatible. You know, have, first of all, have you encountered that among the people that you work with and, and even you know, some of the people you've studied with? And how can you integrate science and faith together? I, I think like in my coworkers, I really don't see a lot of people um, try to contradict science and faith. I think a lot of people are kind of agnostic, to be honest, because when we are scientists, we are constantly like researching new topics, and we know that the more that we know, the more that we don't know. Mm. So that's why a lot of people were agnostic. They were like, oh, yeah, we don't know everything. Don't try to explain anything to me because you don't even know about it. But I think as more um, that I know, I kind of appreciate God's creation more. Yeah. You know? It's like how human systems work, like how like you have different organs and different organs and also the cells work on like a molecular level together and they just form your human body which is really beautiful and you know it it's fascinating to see how god created every one of us and every one of us is is beautiful and it's worth loving Amen. Amen. Well, Candace, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Restless. We really appreciate it. There will be another episode with Candace coming up soon, so stay tuned to Restless. You can find us on Veritas Catholic Network, which is um, something. I'm blanking. 1350 AM. AM And 103.5 FM. Thank you, Lauren. I'm glad you got my back on that one. And you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in next time. Hey everybody, this is producer Matt. If you liked this week's episode of Restless and want to help the show grow, please rate us, review us, and subscribe on your preferred platform. God bless.